Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. I'm Jeff Probst, the host and showrunner of Survivor. Each week, I'm joined by Jay Wolf, the producer of this podcast and a Survivor fan. How you doing, Jay? What's up? As well as we are joined by Rick Devins, a very popular former player. Devins, how you doing? Outstanding, Jeff. So each week, what we do on this podcast is we analyze the key turning points of each episode from those three different points of view, the fan, the player, and the producer. All right, so let's get into it. Episode two, Survivor 45. One big thing is the main title is back, ah, which <laughs> we we love, the fans love, the oh, players yeah. love. They get to see that that epic shot. I can't remember, Devins, did you have a main title in your season? We had it on a few episodes. Yeah, I mean, we had it enough that we got to see it and save it, and maybe I have it on my hard drive. <laughs> I can picture Rick, well, you were like trekking across the sand, maybe. No, I feel like there was like, actually, some wind in your hand. my shot is when my butt slams down at the bottom of a slide, and I just kind of reverberate. So it's not a hero <laughs> shot. They didn't want to give anything away, right? <laughs> okay, so outside of the main title, what what was the headline of this episode for you two? I feel like for me, the headline has got to be sharing. I might tweak it a little bit and just say oversharing. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that adjustment. That's exactly what I want to talk to you about, Rick, because there was a lot of oversharing in this episode. And you know, you're picking up on something that kind of plays out the whole season is the idea of secrets and when do you share and who do you share it with? And then do they keep that secret or do they share it with somebody else? I mean, it's a theme of every season of Survivor, but it definitely plays out a lot this season. 
What was the headline for you, Jeff? For me, the thing that stood out when I first saw the episode, that's always for me a really fun time because even though I'm out there and involved in the show, obviously, there are lots of things I don't know, little moments that happen on the beach that I never hear about because there are thousands of them happening. But what really stood out to me was the execution of the Hidden Immunity Idols and seeing them come into play. What is that like? Because it's got to have a lot of planning that goes into it to make sure that it doesn't just go haywire. Yeah, I mean, we knew we had 90-minute episodes, so it did take months of planning. And the idea came from Team Flint, which is Quigley and Andrea and Keone. Uh, they're they're kind of like special ops at this point. They just kind of, they can do anything. <laughs> but they had this idea for a much more elaborate idol design where you had visual clues, which are fun to see, plus you had physical effort Plus, it happened in public, so you had to be able to pull it off, and it might require the assistance of an alliance member. So they spent a lot of time ensuring that every single beat was specific and every moment was well-produced. So when you see it finally play out on the beaches and you see how well it was covered by our outstanding reality teams and audio teams, and then in post-production, in the hands of our producers and editors, where it all comes together with shot selection, point of view, music cues. I was very excited. I thought we did a pretty good job. It's just a couple of minutes of screen time, but it's months in the making. And so many different departments and crew members touch this idea along the way. So I was very proud as part of the team to see it in the episode. As someone who has found idols out there, it's fun to think that as I'm celebrating that I can't believe this is happening to me, <laughs> there's a bunch of people behind the scenes also celebrating that this came to fruition. And Devons, I'll give you some insight about how I find out. Typically now it's a text, but before we had texting, it would be like a call on the radio, but it would, in this case, it's almost always Matt. He gets word from the beach. Then Matt calls me and he goes, Devons found the idol. And that's it. And now I know, okay, great, the idol was found and Devons has it. That's the extent of how much we celebrate it because we're not as invested in who finds it as much as we are that it was found. And now we have an element right. in play and then we don't know what Devons is going to do with it. So later on, when you're watching the first rough cuts and you see people hoisting each other into a tree to attempt to get this yeah. coconut, I can imagine you're giggling. Yeah, because I haven't seen it. I think there's a perception that I'm watching footage all day, that I've got 50 monitors in my little room. No, no monitors, no footage. I have never screened footage ever, never, not once. So yeah, I, I don't know that along the way, like, I know I'm talking about this season. We're just starting with the idols. They're difficult to pull off. You kind of saw that in the first episode where, where Austin said, wait a minute, step one? Yeah. You mean, right. I, you know, so I think that's the part that's really fun to watch it play out. Well, it was really fun to watch for us. And Jeff, the other thing I want to talk to you about later is how few votes were then cast at this tribal council mm -hmm. in part because of that idol search. So three votes. Hey, Devons, it only takes one vote. I mean, that's the new era, but yes, let's talk about it. It's, it's fun to talk about. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the whole episode, including sharing, and I'll, uh, I'll go tend to the fire and I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> All right, we'll get back with Jeff in a bit right now. Another jam-packed, surprising, shout at the TV, I'm sure for you, Jay, episode. <laughs> so let's get into episode two. Jay, what's our first turning point? All right, 
the first turning point, and I think a theme in this episode, is about changing your personality to enhance your game. You come out to play, you have an idea, it doesn't go as planned. So you have to adjust. And I want to play you two different clips. One is an example of an adjustment I don't think worked, but I'm curious how you feel, Rick. The plan of being Crazy Uncle Bruce seems to be working out very well. Well, I put on that smiling face, I laugh and giggle, but we have things that need to get done. They're working at a snail's pace. You know, in the back of my head, I'm like, ah! So that's Bruce. Do you think his plan is working? It's hard to be all things to all members of your tribe. Bruce clearly trying to tone down some of the parts of his personality that he thinks aren't going to work well on Survivor. He doesn't want to be a leader. He doesn't want to be dad. He's Funkle Bruce. I think it's having an effect with some members of his tribe, but we've seen Katora say, not that big a fan of Funkle Bruce. And he's certainly, while he's toning down some tendencies, he's amping up others. And I think he needs to be a little careful with that. All right, here's the second example. And this happens after what I would consider a survivor gift. Emily gets a second shot at life after Hannah's quit, and it seems she's really learned from it. You can't brute force things in life. And I tried to brute force this game. And now I'm taking some of these lessons to heart, right? Learning to be more calm, learning to be less aggressive. I feel like so much of the issues that I've had here has been attitude. It's really nice to think about that, you know, this game isn't over for me. I feel like I could sense an actual shift in Emily. Like that was a real human change. I totally agree. So the question is, how does adjusting your plan for your survivor identity change when you hit the sand? It's a great question, Jay. And we talked last week about that first impression. A lot of times you go in there wanting to be something, maybe a toned down version of yourself where you're a little less bossy, you rein in those dad tendencies so you can be a funkle. Maybe you're so amped up to play the game, you're an amplified version of yourself. Emily tells us, like, I'm not like this at home. Out here, I came out here and I started playing so hard, so quick. But you realize mm. you have to adjust because you're not out there alone. Right. It's about how others react to you. And Emily wasn't ready to change right away, right? Like she felt that little bit of panic we talked about and she used it in I think a good way. She went out and tried to find the ways to save herself, try to find an idol, try to do those little things. When it didn't work out, you have to look at yourself and go, okay, let's find another way. And she's doing it. She's changing her tribe's perception of who she is. And that's a big move, even though it's a very subtle thing. And it could pay off huge in the game. I don't know that I would say it was just a little bit of panic that she changed, <laughs> but uh, I suppose I will agree with you. And it's interesting in the sense that... It's not whether you feel panic or not, Jay. It's how you use that panic. Yeah. She used it well. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It kind of reminds me of... Like when you go to work, what you're saying is that you have to remember that you're amongst others and it's their perception of you that matters, not the persona that you think you're projecting. And so is it kind of like you have to have different versions of you for every person as opposed to having this one Funkel Bruce that you think you can project on everybody? I think that's really a great observation, Jay, because yeah, it's exactly like that. Maybe Funkle Bruce doesn't work for everybody. And we actually have seen that this season, right? Some people getting rubbed the wrong way by Funkle Bruce. So the really great players are able 
to be like your really great coworkers. And they meet everyone on their playing field. Whether you're talking to the security guy about the Jets, ah, oh, ruining my whole life. Mm-hmm. Or you're talking to your favorite coworker about what happened last night on Survivor. Good plug. Or maybe you're just talking to somebody, you're bonding over the fact that you both have kids. You gotta find those little ways to connect with people. And as you get to know them more, you find other things that you have in common and you build a deeper relationship. And you're doing that because you want to win Survivor and deeper relationships can really help you move around in the game strategically. All right, the next turning point I want to talk about is gameplay. So at the Lulu camp, which is somewhere we've been spending an awful lot of time, (laughs) Brandon lived the Survivor dream and found a beware advantage. He then quickly called attention to that find and not only that, handed it right over to Sabaya. My thing with these? I don't want to open it's the beware advantage. I know that you're not allowed to vote if you have the beware advantage in your possession and you don't complete the task. Do you want to open it? Like, I don't want, I am adamantly saying I don't want to open it. I'll open it. Do it. My vote is integral in this game. I didn't want to risk it. And giving that advantage to Sabaya solidifies us. We're bonded to each other. Brandon doesn't even try to get the advantage without Tobias in him. And Rick, you said last week, and so this is ruminating in my brain, you said <laughs> you can cautious yourself right out of the game. And so I'm thinking here, is Brandon cautiousing himself right out of the game by not at least attempting to get the advantage without Tobias seeing? That's an interesting question, Jay. I don't think so. I think... Maybe if he could have gotten it without her seeing, that that would have been great. But then it's like, if you try to do that and you get caught, you put yourself in a lot of trouble, especially when you're Brandon, you're counting on these people. So there's a million different scenarios when you have that idol. I mean, if you're alone and can get it alone, do it. That's probably your best option. But with a beware advantage where you don't know what it is, I think what Brandon did is just as big a move as grabbing it himself because now he gave it to someone. They owe him. That's his ally. He's bringing her closer. Plus, he knows where the advantage is. Maybe they get to share it, right? And if he had kept it, Sabaya's going to blab to everybody. She's an open book, so everyone would have known he has it. So now he doesn't have that stink on him. Plus, he doesn't have to deal with all the things to get the advantage. He can just kind of sit back and enjoy all the good things that come with an advantage. Plus, he strengthened his alliance. So I don't think he was necessarily playing cautious. I think it was kind of a big move in itself. And Brandon still has his vote because if he doesn't have his vote and he can't help you in challenges, he's really not bringing much to his alliance. That's a good point. And we'll talk all about losing votes. And unfortunately for Brandon, (laughs) even though he kept it here, he didn't keep it later. We're going to get into that so much more. We'll be right back. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust. And the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but 
effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to get to the next turning point, and it connects to the one we just discussed about changing your behavior. We're not sure it's going to work out for Funkle Bruce, but when we heard Emily's change, you could feel her heart. It was honest, and it feels she's really changing. And what fascinated me here really was how quickly that change also started to occur in others. Because pretty much as soon as Emily changed, I think the same day, maybe the same hour, Caleb noticed that in her, and he also changed his plan. How can I possibly help? And maybe I can nurse her back to health. Nurse her as a stronger, better player. My question is this, Rick. Is this how fast the game actually moves? I've heard Jeff say so many times, the game moves so fast. But literally, this morning, Emily realized, oh, I can't act that way. And this afternoon, Caleb's her ally. It can flip on a dime if you have an opportunistic player because that's really what you need when you're playing Survivor is opportunity. You need as many paths forward as you can so that if something goes wrong on one path, you can just shift to a different path. So Emily was limiting not only her own options in the game with her attitude and her aggressive gameplay early on, she was limiting the options of everyone on Lulu Tribe because they couldn't see a way forward with her. So now that she's decided to change her tune, Caleb is the first one to notice and go, oh my gosh, I have another option now. I have an Emily mm -hmm. option. And that Emily option might actually be even better than a Brandon option because Brandon is an option for everybody, right? Brandon's an option for Sean, for Sabaya, whereas Emily is an option only for me, only for Caleb. Yeah, that does seem like a good strategic move now that you put it that way. It's sort of like, well, if I can get a free number and the only thing I got to do is give her half of a hug on the way back from the water well... Why not? Like so many things in Survivor, it seems really easy, but when you're out on the island, it's easy to forget. I made this mistake on season 38. I did not put any time or effort into getting to know Aurora because she wasn't a number I needed and she was someone I thought I was going to vote out. I didn't want to get emotionally attached. I regretted it later in the game. I didn't play smart. Caleb is playing smart. He's keeping all his options on the board, and it does come with risk. I mean, it's very easy for Sean and Brandon and Sabaya to be talking to each other and going, why is Caleb talking with Emily? I thought we were all against Emily. Mm. But he's willing to take this risk, and I think so far it seems to be paying off. Okay, so the next turning point is that we get the journey on this episode, and three people end up going on it. It's Bruce, and it's Drew, and it's Brandon. And they get to the puzzle where they could potentially win an advantage. Bruce decides to opt out. Brandon and Drew play. Brandon, I think, says, 
if I'm going to do any sort of challenge, it's the one that has no running or jumping involved. So yeah, feel you, bud. That <laughs> seems like the right choice for you. And Drew solves the puzzle. Brandon does not loses his vote. My question for you is this. We've seen risking votes for five seasons now. And we've seen the advantages that can come from it. But with such a small tribe, with nowhere to hide, is risking your vote like this actually a smart play? So just like everything else in Survivor, of course it can come back to bite you. But it could be the difference in a winning game and a losing game to get that advantage. So it's going to be case by case. But I think we've seen at this point that, yeah, it can definitely be worth risking your vote. If you think everyone back at camp is after you, your vote might not even matter. You don't have an ally. You got to get an advantage. Or if you think your vote's the most important thing, if it's a 3-2 split, you better keep your vote. That's more important to get you through tribal council than an advantage is, and there's no guarantee you're getting that advantage, right? So you have to look at a lot of things. Where do you think you are in the game? Who can you trust back at camp? Are there wild cards? Do you think maybe someone you can trust is keeping a secret? They don't have their vote. Maybe you can't even count votes at this point. So it's always going to be a risk, but you just have to decide if the juice is worth the squeeze. Do I think I can get through tribal without a vote? Then I'm going for the advantage. Do I think my vote is key to getting through one tribal? I might want to play it safe and find my spot later in the game to go for an advantage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't take exception with any of the three of their decisions to go for it here or to not go for it in the case of Bruce. The place I took an exception was later when Drew came back with his advantage, got up the boat. First thing he did was tell everybody, gather around, folks. I want to read you my advantage. What in the world? Is this a good strategy? I mean, how many times have we seen getting an advantage puts a target on your back? So... What's Drew doing here? Very interesting, Jay. I felt like you, man. I was yelling at my TV, Drew, what are you doing? I was going, man, this is a clear case of we haven't been to tribal yet. I love everybody. I can't imagine someone I trust would backstab me. Right. But then you see the results. His tribe seemed to really embrace it. People in their private interviews are going, boy, I like Drew. Austin comes up and goes, hey, Drew, I also had an advantage. So so it just goes to show there's no right or wrong moves on Survivor. And it definitely goes to show that I don't always know what's best. I mean, we'll see how it plays out long term. But I love that Drew had a plan. This didn't happen by accident. He's going into it saying, I'm going to share with everybody. I'm going to build alliances. And that's how I'm going to use this advantage. Now everyone knows he has it. We'll kind of see how it goes. But an interesting approach. It had me screaming, Jay. Yeah, real love on the Reba tribe, it seems like, at least until they go to tribal council. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, it's easy to love everybody uh, before they voted against your interest in the game. Right. All right, well, speaking of voting against interest in the game, the last turning point I want to get to is tribal council. Lulu lost again in epic fashion in the immunity challenge. Jay, do you mind if I interrupt you real quick? Please. Last week on our first episode, we talked about how every once in a while, I'll find a turning point that maybe only a player would notice, something that's very subtle in the game. And there's something that happened after the immunity challenge that I just want to take a second to shine a spotlight on. As everyone's leaving, Jeff says, congratulations to the two tribes that won immunity, swim back to your camps, they jump in the water, everyone goes off, the last one off the dock 
Survivor44's Bruce. Does this yeah. cutesy little walk off the dock. He's smiling at Jeff. He's doing a fun thing for the cameras. And I don't think there was any malice in it. I think he's out there performing. He's Funkle Bruce. Right. But let me just tell you, if I'm on Lulu, I am burning with anger. I want to tear this man to pieces. I'm out here failing and failing and failing. One of my tribe mates walked away. Our life sucks so bad. Oh, man. Oh, man. We'll see if it's a turning point. But I'll tell you right now, I bet there's some people in yellow going back to camp and going, Emily, you made a really good point on the barge. I think Bruce has spent enough time in this game. <laughs> no, I, you know, you said you were the only one who noticed that because you're a former player. And maybe that insight is right. But I was ready to throw a flag for taunting on that play as well. I saw Bruce get up <laughs> in their face. So I'm with you. All right. Let's get to tribal council. So it's down to Brandon versus Emily. I think Emily so much as says that, which is a move that I don't know that I support. And that's something that maybe we'll talk about in a different episode. <laughs> but nonetheless, Brandon is pleading his case. And Jeff points out that what he can offer is loyalty. Brandon is saying, I'm loyal. I'm with you. That also is a valuable quality in this game. Okay, but how valuable is it actually? Because in the modern history of Survivor, the amount of backstabbing when someone is, quote, loyal outweighs the times that that loyalty held up for sure. Rob and Lex, Jesse and Cody. I mean, the list goes on and on and every moment is more epic than the last. No, no one stays loyal. And also loyalty is situational, right? Like, yeah, Brandon's loyal. So we get rid of Emily and now all four of us are loyal to each other. So we got to get rid of someone next tribal. Right. Also, if Brandon's loyal to me, that's great. But if he's also loyal to Sabaya and to Sean and to Caleb, uh, he's not doing me much good. Whereas if Emily's loyal to just me, that's a lot more valuable to me. So no, I don't think that loyalty really plays into it. It's more who can I work with and who's going to be a viable option going forward. And if you don't think Brandon can go forward because he's not going to be able to perform in any of these challenges, then no, let me find another option. Someone who's loyal that I think I can get closer to the end of the game with. It's an interesting distinction you made there. I just want to pull it out for one second, which is that being loyal to everybody is actually being loyal to nobody. And that seems like a strategic play there because we've seen a lot of big group tribes where everybody's like, we're in an alliance, we are together. But there's the one person you go to on the left, the second person you go to on the right, each of them believing that you're their number one. How hard is it to make sure that there's all these different people kind of believing the same story? And is it a story? I think that that's got to be very hard. And it's the reason I had to find a lot of idols and win challenges, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get people you know, to do that with me. It's, it's, it's really difficult. And you see someone like Caleb, who is so charming and brave enough to put himself out there and smart enough to see that he has an advantage in keeping Emily. So I don't think it's an easy thing to do, but you see the really good Survivor players able to pull that off. Well said, Rick. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk to Jeff about the main title, how they select the reality scenes, and we're going to ask about that new normal of having just a three-vote tribal council. It's ridiculous. Three? Come on, Jeff. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to On Fire. And we are joined again by Jeff Propes, who's going to answer our and your questions about Survivor 45, Episode 2. Hello. Does it always feel like I'm lurking? Yes. <laughs> yes. Even when we're not doing the podcast, it feels that way for me. Well, I am always lurking. And today, while I was lurking, I was listening to your thoughts on loyalty. And I don't agree at all, Devons. Oh, really? Yeah. No, really. Jay asked you a question. He didn't make a statement. He just asked a question. In the new era, how valuable is loyalty? And in a nutshell, your answer centered around the idea that nobody stays loyal. Therefore, it's not of any value. That premise makes no sense to me. Do you want me to explain? I do. I'm invested now. Okay. You put Rob and Lex in the same category as Jesse and Cody. I don't think they're similar at all. Rob persuaded Lex to save Amber with the promise that he would take care of him. So Lex took a chance and he saved Amber. Then the first time Rob had the chance to repay the favor and prove his loyalty, he betrayed Lex. So there was never loyalty, only an offer for loyalty that was not reciprocated. Fair enough? Does that ring true? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, th I mean, I think Lex thought there was a relationship there that brought loyalty with it. Okay, but there had never been a loyalty test right. until then. Yeah. Okay, so Rob and Amber were loyal to each other in that same season, so loyal that Rob stayed loyal even though he knew he might lose to her and so loyal that they got married and now have a tribe of kids. <laughs> okay, so as a comparison, Jesse and Cody were very loyal for most of the game. In fact, that is a large part of why the two of them went so far. Yes, in the end, there was betrayal. That is part of the game. And loyalty is tested the deeper you get. But without that early and sustained loyalty, the two of them most likely do not make it to the end. Are you still with me? I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you a chance I've, to, I've to thought, respond. But I'm with you. <laughs> okay. I just want to give a couple more examples of loyalty. The Tika 3. Loyalty. So much loyalty, Jam Jam even helped Carson with his fire-making skills. Fishback and JT, loyalty. Wendell and Dom, they were so loyal, they ended up in the one and only final Tribal Council tie vote. I could list dozens of examples of loyalty. I'm with you. And I'm glad you brought this up because I can clarify my thoughts on this. Okay, Loyalty is part of the game. And it is, it is important. I was very loyal with David Wright on my season. And loyalty actually cost me at the end. I was loyal to Chris Underwood and gave him back his half of the immunity idol. But on the other side of every Wendell and JT, there's a fishback and there's a dom where loyalty costs them. And there's an end point to loyalty, like with Cody and Jesse. And I do think loyalty, like you said, is something that's earned through trust. Uh, it's not something you can barter at tribal council. I'll be loyal to you. So I agree with you. I do think loyalty is important. I just don't think you know, what is loyalty in Survivor? That's the real question. How far does loyalty go if you have to be the first one to cut a throat? Well, this is why I like having you on this podcast because full disclosure, we said when we asked you to do this, you have your own point of view. You say whatever you want and we'll talk openly. But I'm just going to say for my two cents, loyalty is maybe the most important thing any two players or more can have in the game. And I think you're going to see that play out again in this season. It is a 26-day test of loyalty. Jay, what are your thoughts? 
my thoughts are that you can go back and watch each of these amazing moments in Tests of Loyalty on Paramount Plus. That's Survivor 8, All Stars, Survivor 18, Token Teen, Survivor 36, Ghost Island, Survivor Whoa. 38, Edge of Extinction, Survivor 43, and Survivor 44. Whoa. All available on Paramount Plus. That is really impressive. Well wow. done. See, that's the fan that you remember all those seasons. That's cool. All right, Jay, let's get into it. What do you have in terms of questions? Okay, well, we mentioned it at the top, but I am curious, Jeff, did the enormous number of emails that we received last year asking for the main title to return contribute at all to the fact that the main title is back? (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. But only because we don't disagree. We love the main title too. I personally love the main title. It's a signature part of the show. It's obviously an iconic moment for the player. They get to see their name with this dramatic shot of them and their name on the screen. And those images from Scott Duncan and Russville, they are beautiful. I mean, you never look more heroic than when you're in the main title. And then you have Russ Landau who did that original score. And the person who puts all this together is the editor. So if you go back to season one, that was Sean Foley. He did the first ever main title using these Scott Duncan images. And it was really inventive. But for the past many, many years, it's been Fred Hawthorne, one of our senior editors. And what's really cool is that Fred literally brings this to life. He has all these images of all the faces. Plus he has all the images from the theme of that season that might center around tribal council or it might be cannons firing things off, whatever it is, Fred takes all this in his mind and then just says, I got it. I think I know how to do this main title. And then we wait, (laughs) honestly, Jay and Rick, it's a little bit like Christmas because (laughs) the main title is so just symbolic. And then Fred will say, okay, it's ready. (laughs) And then we all just look and go, this is awesome. I can't wait for fans to see it. So we are definitely happy that it's back. Just so we're clear, it's not something that we abandoned because we didn't like it. It just comes down to the amount of time we have in the episode. And because we have 90 minutes, we will have a main title. And there's a little something added to the main title this season because it is the new era. So we wanted to spice it up a little bit. So there's an Easter egg in every main title. And by that, I mean there is one shot each week that is different in the main title. It's just a a tiny clue to that episode. (laughs) Yeah, like for instance, if you go back and watch this one, there's a shot of Beware Advantage. Really? And so in the placement, that's going to be the same place every week. You'll see a shot and that will be a tiny clue. So the Beware Advantage came into play in this episode. I'm not saying it will always be as obvious as that. It might be more subtle. It could be a clever misdirect, but it will give you some insight into something that's going to happen in the show if you're so inclined to catch it as it plays at the beginning of the episode. That is fun. That is fun. So the fans get their main title back. They also want life in camp, more life in camp. And we got some of that this episode too, Jeff, including an extended sequence talking about long Big toes, maybe being good for balance. I'm intrigued if this comes into play later. We'll see. We'll see. But I want to know, how do you decide of all the garbage we talk at camp, what you're going to pick for the show? And how does that change the direction of an episode? It's a really good question because 
Every scene is in the show for a reason. It's just not always the same reason. For instance, it could be directly related to what's going to happen at Tribal Council. That would be the most obvious. But it could also be related to what's going to happen at Tribal, but serve as a misdirect, which is part of the fun of watching an episode, is guessing what will happen and who is going home. It could also, and often is, related to revealing more of a player's personality or their point of view in the game. We're seeing this with Emily. Her moments are not always directly related to gameplay, Sometimes they're just about the human experience she's having, but because Survivor is ultimately a game, every moment in some way will circle back and impact the game. And sometimes, as you alluded to, it is a clue that might come into play in a future episode, like toes and balance. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Might have nailed it on the head there, Rick. <laughs> All right. Last question on episode two from us is about votes. Okay. Specifically, the lack of them. Yeah. Is the fact that we ended up with a three-vote tribal part of the game design? And how do you think that affects the game and the show as a whole? I'm glad you brought this up. Okay, so for the first 40 seasons, we wouldn't think of touching the vote because that was, you know, that was the most important thing. But when we started talking about the new era and we came up with this idea of dangerous fun, then one of the first things we looked at was the vote. Could we put the vote in play? Could we give players a chance, an opportunity to risk their vote if they wanted? And what kind of layers would that add? So we did go into this knowing we could very likely have a one-vote tribal council. It could happen. Mm. If there were some players at risk and then maybe there was a tribe swap or we get to emerge and suddenly you've got four or five people without their vote... That will probably happen more often the more we play because I think as, as Devin's really explained nicely earlier, it's always situational. So yes, it was definitely by design and I like that it adds a new layer. And you saw with Bruce, I'm not risking it. With Brandon, I am risking it. So this is the new era. You don't have to risk your vote. I mean, typically, you never know. Sometimes you do have to risk your vote. But in general, all we were trying to do is look at parts of the game that we hadn't explored yet and see if there was something there to mine. And we feel like this risk vote thing has got a lot of layers to it that's changing the game in really fun ways. All right, let's get to a couple of fan questions. And as a reminder, if you have a question for Jeff, you can write to us at survivorshoutout at cbs.com and we will read those questions. And by we, I mean I, and maybe even read them here. So the first question comes from Jen. And her question is, since the show now always takes place at the same location, how do you reset the jungle in between seasons? And how do you prevent the natural resources such as food contestants can forage from being depleted? It's a great question. And the short answer is we work closely with the Fijian government in all ways, including how to take care of the land and how to replenish resources. Fortunately, the Fijian jungles are rich and abundant and they actually replenish themselves very quickly. So that's, <laughs> that's never really been an issue. But just to the question in general for the history of our show, we've always worked with the government of whatever country we're in to take care of the land. In fact, sometimes there have been specific types of trees or plants that we can't touch, so we don't shoot in those areas. And if we do clear an area for a challenge, it's been approved by the landowner and the government with a plan in place from us to replenish once we are finished. 
All right, and our next fan question comes from Dan. He says, I had a question after listening to your episode about shooting Survivor. How does the show go about filming activities that players are trying to keep secret? I'm thinking about examples like Tony's Spy Shack or when the camera will quickly capture the location of the idol while players looking for it. How do you catch these things without giving away important information to other players? I think this is a question that every player wonders about, and we try to answer it for the players before we even shoot. But really, number one is our camera and audio teams are just amazing at this part of their job. Because you're absolutely right, Dan, they could give it away. One big element that helps us is we do shoot almost everything. We'll shoot the most boring conversation about players talking about their favorite recipes, just as much as we're going to shoot somebody looking for an idol. So it's not quite as obvious as it might seem. But the other more nuanced answer is that our crews are really excellent about knowing how to shoot something specific without anybody really knowing what they're shooting. And if you go back to old episodes, you can see this in action. There'll be a scene where three or four players are gathered in the jungle and they're looking for an idol. What they don't know is the camera operator has the idol in the shot at the same time, but they don't know where the idol is. So they don't realize that. But our camera operators know where the idol is so they can frame it so that you think they're just shooting you, but they're actually shooting you and the idol. Here's another example. This is a subtle one, but it happens a lot. If you have two people in the jungle and they're talking about a third player, our camera operators are really good. They keep one eye looking through the lens, but their other eye is scouring the jungle to see what else is happening. So if that third person that's being talked about starts to approach and they're doing it in a spy-like fashion because they want to eavesdrop, Our camera operators are already anticipating their arrival and they're just slowly adjusting their shot to include the third person without the other two ever noticing. And the reason I feel comfortable telling you all this is you can't see it. It's like a magician. You will never know. So don't spend time. I mean, you can spend time. You can spend time all you want worrying, but I'm telling you, you're not going to catch them giving something like that away. All right. Well, this was a great episode. I'm looking forward to doing this with you all next week. Where is the game at and what are you anticipating for episode three? I got to say, looking at episode three, the one thing I am hoping is that Lulu can figure out how to at least come second (laughs) in the immunity challenge. I'm really hoping that they don't have to go to tribal next week. I am with you on that, Jay. I want to see if Lulu can dig themselves out of a hole And as an idle hound, I want to see what Drew finds at the bottom of Mm. his hole. Mm Self-proclaimed smart guy Drew, what can he figure out out there? And I'll just say as a a nod to you all talking about sharing, you heard in the next time on, D say it felt like a boyfriend betraying me or something like that. So that sharing or loyalty, which we talked about a lot, might also (laughs) come into play. All right, well, that's it for this week of On Fire, the official Survivor podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And there's a brand new episode of Survivor this Wednesday, 8, 7 Central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately after, you get a brand new episode of this podcast, On Fire. We'll see you all next week. You can watch Survivor and more on Paramount+. Plus. Subscribe at ParamountPlus.com and use the code SURVIVOR45 by December 20th, 2023 and get your first month of Paramount Plus on us. Must be age of majority to subscribe, U.S. only. Payment method required. Terms and conditions apply. Visit pplus.legal slash subscription for more.